The Rambam continues to explore and expound upon the mitzvahs 30 through 32, which is to destroy everything associated with idolatry, not to benefit from anything associated with idolatry, and not to benefit from ornaments used to adorn the idolatry. Anything not grasped by the hand of a person, meaning it is not manipulated or made by a person, it is in its natural state. Like a blade of grass, and a person did not create it or make it, even though it's worshipped as of a desire, one may derive benefit from it. And therefore, idolaters, who worship the mountains or hills, the, the mountains, and the hills, and trees that were planted for the purpose of fruit, or shade for that matter, and then the idolater comes along and worships it, as opposed to a tree that was planted for the purpose of idolatry, that would be forbidden. And the springs which are flow for the public. So it's natural spring water, which is flowing from a natural public spring, as opposed to an individual who dug the spring for the purposes of idolatry, or if the water has been separated from it for idolatrous purposes. Or an animal in its natural state, unchanged, one may derive benefit from these things, and one may eat those fruits which have been worshipped in the place of their growing or that animal for example also may be derived benefit from and even be eaten even though it was worshipped because it is unchanged so if one worships an apple that is growing on a tree you may then pick that apple and eat it because the apple is unchanged if a tree is worshipped anything which grows afterwards on that tree uh, might be a problem Needless to say, an animal that's designated, set aside to worship, but has not actually been worshipped yet, one may eat the animal, when it was set aside, whether it was set aside to be worshipped, or set aside, aside to be offered as a sacrifice, it's permitted because it has not yet actually been served, and has not yet actually been uh, uh, used as a sacrifice. Of course, even after the animal has been served, there is not an issue if it has not undergone any kind of change, as we'll see soon. When does this apply? Shame of heaven the animals not become forbidden. There's no action done with the animal. No change made in the animal, no deed performed with it for the sake of idolatry. If any action is done to the animal with the animal anyway, it is forbidden. Can't tell what's an example of this. If he shechts part of the animal for the now that there's been a change made in the animal for idolatry, the animal becomes forbidden. The Gemara also brings examples of shearing off part of the animal's hair for Avedizara or using it to perform work for Avedizara. If he uses the animal to trade for an idol, so it's sort of like payment to barter, Asara becomes forbidden because it's payment for an idol. If he uses the animal to, to, as, as bartering to trade for an object that was traded for an idol, that's also forbidden because that becomes money for Avedizara, payment for Avedizara. And all this only applies if the animal belongs to you. When does all this apply? If it's your animal. If you do something to your animal, your, your fellow's animal, like shechting it, for the sake of a desire, or you trade it for an idol, does not become forbidden. A person cannot become, cannot make something that does not belong to him become forbidden. He has no jurisdiction over it. Someone bows down to the ground of the ground of the earth. Loyasar does not become forbidden because again, it's not something which a person can has made or manipulated. If he digs holes in the ground, pits, shechin, channels, maoris, caverns, then it becomes forbidden. Presumably, Ram is referring to that exact area where the manipulation, the change, has been made in the earth.
Halacha base. Mayim shakar and hagal. If water was uprooted by a wave, a wave crashed on the seashore. Now that water, part of the water, got separated from the rest of the ocean, independent from the ocean. Yishtachavalahem. He bows down to that water. Loyasorin. He does not forbid that water because it's considered in its natural state, since there was no manipulation done by any person. Not to be under Yishtachavalahem. But if he picks up water in his hands and bows down to that asarin, then it's been forbidden because that's manipulated by a person. Havni har stones on a mountain. Shinistal do that slid down in let's say an avalanche. When a person worships those rocks in their new place, with Taurus they're permitted because again the change in them was not done by any human manipulation. Because they're not considered like that they were manipulated or impacted in any way by human intervention. Now we learned in Halacha Aleph that a person cannot cause someone else's item to become forbidden because you decide to bow down to your fellow's object. Presumably the Ramam. Uh, means that even if that other person bowing down to your object is a non-Jew although some would dispute that but let's assume that's the case so a Jew takes a brick and sets it upright for the purpose of bowing down to it uh, worshipping it but he does not actually do so he gets busy with something else but meanwhile a Gentile idolater comes along and does bow down to it he makes you forbidden to derive benefit from even though he said in, the, in Halacha Allah that you cannot make someone else's item become forbidden, only a person can make their own item become forbidden by the Zara. Once the Jews set it up for the purpose of being worshipped, in that case, when the guy bows to it, the Yid, the yid is, so to speak, providing an opportunity to make it by the Zara. And therefore, says the setting it up is considered an action significant enough to allow the guy to make it forbidden. If a Jew sets an egg upright, again, for the same purpose of bowing down to it, but does not do so, and the non Jew comes along and bows down to it first, the egg becomes forbidden for the same reason. If a person cuts a gourd from the ground and now it's detached by a person, then he bows down to it and he worships it, it becomes forbidden because it's been manipulated by a person. What if he cuts a gourd off the ground and only bows down to half of it? In his religion, the top half of the gourd is sacred, and it's a god, and the bottom half is uh, mundane. But the other half is still attached to it. The bottom half is also And Perhaps we say that the half which is not being worshipped is considered like an indispensable handle for the half which is being worshipped, and you cannot distinguish them, therefore they're both forbidden. A tree which is planted for the purpose of being worshipped, also is forbidden to derive benefit from it. This is the classic example of the Asherah that describes as an idolatrous tree. Of course, we also know that if you put an idol by the tree to worship the idol in the tree's shade, that's also an Asherah. But the classic Asherah is a tree which is planted for the purpose of being worshipped, apparently. If you had a tree, it's already planted. You pruned it. You carved it. There are different things that are done to improve the tree. To garden the tree, the shame of this was done for idolatrous purposes. And even if you, the tree was uh, was uh, extended or, or or trained, as is commonly done with grapevines, that you move the top of the of the tree or the vine to a new place and re- replant it in the ground in the hope that it generates a, generates a brand new tree. Over here, give the shall Elon, you, you uh, grafted in the tree, so a branch from a different tree is embedded into this tree in the hopes of improving the growth. So in uh, any of these things that was done, you had a tree that was already there, and then you came along and you improved it and did these things to it, whether you pruned or carved or, or extended it or, or grafted it, for the sake of the Zara. The Haitzi Srikim, and then afterwards the tree grew new branches, your, your work paid off. 
You can cut off those branches. They are forbidden because they are considered the work of Avedah Zara. After you did what you did to the tree, the, the, anything that happens afterwards that it grows new on it is considered Avedah Zara material. However, the original tree is permitted, unlike the cow where we said when you do a change in the animal. The whole animal becomes forbidden if you do it for Avedah Zara. When it comes to vegetation, apparently, any change you make does not make the thing forbidden. It's only the, the new things that happen to the tree after the Avedah Zara, after its worship, become forbidden. But the original tree is permitted, so if you can re- return it to that original state, by cutting off any new branches, the tree is permitted. Someone who bows down to a tree, even though the tree does not become forbidden because it's in its natural state, all the branches, the leaves, and the uh, uh, shoots that, that and the fruits that grow on grow on it after the tree has been worshipped, they are forbidden because they happened after the, t- the time the tree was worshipped. Of a tree that you see the goyim are guarding its fruits. That this tree, they guard it to be able to have fruit to make beer. To drink in the house of the temple of this idol. They do make beer from it and they drink it in the day of their holiday. This tree is forbidden to buy benefit from. Because we assume that it's not just they found a good tree and decided to, 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 uh, to use its fruits for the Zara. Rather, we assume it was planted for that purpose. That's why they use its fruits for this. This is the laws of the Asherah tree. That it's planted for the purpose of a Zara, and uh, you then take the take the fruits, use it for the for the church, for the temple. A tree under which an idol was placed, which is also an example of an Asherah, calls Manshi Tachtov, as long as the idol is under the tree, also by no one may not derive any benefit from the tree. Yamam implies that even if the tree was not planted for that purpose, they merely, merely chose a tree, put a getchka there to worship. As long as it's there, you cannot derive any benefit from the tree. Not to be talked once the Avedazara is taken away from the tree, Avizamutar, then the tree is permitted. Even the new branches that even the branches that grew on it while the Avedazara was there now become permitted. The tree itself is not being worshipped. It's merely being used as a location to worship Avedazara, therefore it does not become intrinsically forbidden forever, and therefore even the new branches that grew while it was being worshipped are permitted. <coughs> The non-Jew built a house for the purpose of worshiping the house as a god, or the structure as a god. Similarly, if someone bows down to a house that has already been built, the house becomes forbidden to derive benefit from, like a Zorah. Presumably, we're talking about a case where the person who bowed down to it was the owner of the house. Uh, also, the Ramam seems to imply that a house attached to the ground has the, the law of something which is naturally attached to the earth and cannot become forbidden. In that case, you would think, but apparently, regarding Avodah Zarah, we're more stringent than we say that it's been it's considered manipulated or changed by human hand, and therefore becomes forbidden if the owner bows down to it. How you if the house is already built? Vesidah any plasters in the chirei or he puts designs on it? Shem for the idolatrous purposes. Asher chadish to the point that now it seems to be a new. Uh, uh, it's significantly different. To, to, so it looks like, it looks like a new building. Noito Mashachidish, he takes away what he the the newness, uh, whatever he added, the designs. And that, those things are forbidden to, to derive benefit from. Because it's made for the purpose of the Zorah. However, the rest of the house remains permitted because that's considered an addition that can be taken away. Someone brings the Zorah into their house. 
into a house. Calls man shisham any time or structure any time as long as the avodah is there. Abayas also banoah won't be not derived benefit from the house at all. If he takes the avodah out to abayas, then the structure now becomes permitted. Now this is talking about a regular building that avodah happened to be in. If it's actually like a shrine or like a temple, then it's not enough to remove the avodah One has to actually, the owner has to actually. Uh, formally nullify the connection between the building and the Vedazar. So when a, a person buys a church, the uh, the pastor, whoever is selling the church, has to formally uh, do, do something to declare the, the, the dissociation and disconnect between the church and the Vedazar. Stone, which is carved for the purpose of worshiping it, also by now is forbidden to derive benefit from that stone. If it's already carved out, then you, uh, person, uh, decorated it and they made designs on it for the purpose of worshiping it. Even if he made the designs in the stone itself, so he painted on the stone or uh, engraved in, in the stone, even. If he made decorations on top of the stone, so a supplement to the stone, he could take away whatever he, whatever he, whatever he changed, whatever is new. Who also by that's forbidden to derive benefit from. Because it's made for the person of the Zara. However, the rest of the stone is permitted because you took away the new part that you made for the Zara, and the original stone remains permitted. A stone upon which an idol is placed. The stone is forbidden to derive benefit from as long as the idol is on top of the stone. Silica, when the idol is removed, the stone becomes permitted. Someone whose house was next door to a temple of the Zara, and so he, his house and the Zara temple shared a wall. But not for the wall fell down. Also, they say now that we build the wall for your house, because then you're also building the wall for the temple. Okay, said Yasa, what should you do? You can't just leave your house open like that. The example is so we're talking about a case over here where the wall that, that his house and the temple shared, that wall was all on the temple's property. Um, so Kate said, "Yes, what should you do? Kind of slich shalo. You're buying. He should he should retract the, his property and build the wall completely on his property for his house and, and not build it for the temple. And let, the, let the, the temple build their own wall. That space that he leaves between his house and the temple, he should fill it with thorns and, and dung and things like that. Because he should not be providing extra space for the church to expand." If the wall, this means the wall and his wall and the church's wall were built equally on both 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 properties. So, the mark, the the line, the border between his property and the temple's property was exactly halfway through the wall they shared. So you should judge it as it's half and half as it is. Therefore, the half which is on his property, he can derive benefit from that part of the land. But the half on the other side, that side of the property is forbidden to derive benefit from because it belongs to the other. Now, the material of the wall which fell, the stones, the beam, and the, and the earth, that is forbidden to derive benefit from, uh, even though part of that wall may have belonged to the Jew. This is because of the Chumr of the Zara. How do you destroy the Zara? And all the other things that are they're forbidden together with it because of it. Like its accessories and, and uh, offerings. Sheikh, you grind it down, and then scatter the dust into the wind. Another option is you burn it and you and you uh, uh, deposit the ashes in the Dead Sea. So, of course, if it's metal, you can't burn it. You can grind it down and throw it into the wind. If it's wood or other, other, other burnable material uh, that, that can be burned, you can just burn it and, and throw the ashes into Yamamelech.
something which does not has not been impacted or manipulated by human hand. That was worship of the Zoro, going harder like mountains, an animal or a tree. Even though it remains Mutterbahana, as we said earlier, it's coating if it's coated with gold or silver, for example, also Bahana, that part is forbidden to derive benefit from. And whoever has that derives the smallest benefit from it, like as Chayef Malkashem, it says, you should not desire the gold and silver upon them. All the coatings of gold and silver on Avedazara are considered an accessory, and therefore the Asr Bahana. Halacha Ches would tell us that a, a, a Goy has to mavatol Avedazara, a Jew cannot do so. To make it permitted, the, the idol of a non-Jew should be that non-Jews nullified. Before it came to the Jews' possession, it's permitted to buy benefit from. Now the pasuk says, "Their molten gods you shall burn in fire, or you shall you shall burn their statues in fire." I'm sorry, not molten gods. Right, this, this, you shall burn the statues of of their gods in fire. Psilahem is like is like a. Uh, a statue has been carved out. They must be burned in fire when they come to us, uh, our possession, while they are treated as deities, idols. Prior to Jews taking possession of them, the non-Jew nullified them. They are permitted to derive benefit from. The idol belonging to a Jew never gets nullified. It can never be nullified. The Gentile was... A partner in their idol. Ain between Melchum, the nullification of the Gentile is is irrelevant. It's forbidden to derive benefit from it forever. It must be buried. Even though previously we said you can destroy Avodah that apparently is talking about a guy. Gazerus Akasa requires the Avodah of a Jew to be buried. The idol of a guy that came to a Jewish person's possession, and then afterwards the non-Jew nullified it. The nullification does not help. It remains forbidden forever. It has to be done before he gets possession of it. Then a Jew cannot nullify idols, even with the permission of the non-Jew. Bereshusim means permission over here. So it has to be done by a non-Jew who worships the idols, and it has to be done before the Jewish person takes possession of it. A minor guy or a someone who is mentally uh, uh, um, mentally incompetent. If a non-Jewish idol worshiper nullifies the idol eventually, whether it's his own, he can do it also if it's his own or if it's another person, another Vedazara. can be done even if even forced to do so. Even though he's forced by a Jew to do so. In all these instances, it's considered nullified. Provided that the non-Jewish person doing so is an idolatrous non-Jew, he cannot be a Noachide. If he's not idolatrous, his nullification is irrelevant. How how is nullification done? We'll see in the next halacham. When someone nullifies an idol, automatically the accessories are bottled as well. But if the accessories are nullified, the accessories are permitted. But the idol itself is still is still forbidden. Benefit from as it was prior. Until the idol itself is forbidden, is nullified. That which is offered sacramentally to an idol, may never be nullified ever. Yud. If he cuts off the nose of the idol, and the tip of its ear, 
the tip of its nose, tip of its ear, that's but tip of its finger, if he punches it in the face, or more uh, uh, accurately translated based on the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnah is probably that he smoothed out of its face. Even though nothing was lost from the idol, so it's a metal which he, 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 he softened the metal on the face and smoothed it out so the face is not discernible, although none of the actual material is lacking. He sold it to a Jew who is a smith who will melt it down. These are all things a non-Jew does, nullify the idol. Avi Mishkanah, if he, if he gave it as collateral, he sold it to a Gentile. Or to a Jewish person who's not a smith, who won't melt it down, probably. Or if things fall on top of it, he does not clear the stuff away. Or if it's stolen, he does not demand to have it returned. Rakhabufinev, he spits in his face. Shishnabufinev, he urinates in front of it. Glory drags it on the ground. Zorak, he throws feces on it. It's not nullified, even though all these things are seemingly not respectful to the idol, it does not, but it, it's not considered enough to to, 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 to to deliberately nullify the idol. That it's people who, who worship it, just leave it, abandon it. If there's a time of, of peace and there's no war going on, it becomes permitted for, for, by benefit from That's considered nullifying it. Interestingly enough, even though other thing in the previous parak we said that they do things to it that are not respectful but does not actually change it so for example dragging it on the ground or selling it does not nullify it in this case abandoning it is considered nullified um, it's possible in the previous parak those things were done at a moment of anger but over here when it's formally formally abandoned and the Ram does not give a time period we have to presumably see for some time whether it's days, weeks, months or years whatever it is that it's been abandoned that's considered nullified if it's time of war, it's forbidden still to derive benefit from it. Presumably, they only abandon it because of the impending war and they're trying to escape with their lives. If an idol breaks on its own, the broken pieces remain forbidden to derive benefit from until they are nullified. If someone finds broken pieces of an idol, they are still forbidden to derive benefit from Perhaps they have not been nullified, they just broke. If the idol is the type that it's meant to be, you know, delivered, uh, you buy it in pieces, so to speak, and it's, it can be assembled, you buy it from Ikea. And a single person is able to put them back, like Ikea type things. Then in that case, every single separate piece has to be nullified independently. If, he's un, if a simple person is unable to put it together, you have to be a professional craftsman to, to assemble it. Then once one of them is nullified, then all of them are nullified, they're all considered one piece. An altar of idolatry that became blemished, like that, uh, uh, that was damaged. The whole the rest of the altar is forbidden to buy benefit from still, because it's still usable. As you know, since unless unless an idolatrous non-Jew destroys most of the altar. However, a platform that's used to to prop the idol upon, like a base. That became blemished. Mutter, that's be permitted because since it's one stone, it's one stone upon which the idol is placed. Once it becomes blemished, they're not going to use it, and the the, 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 the idolaters remove their instruments interest automatically in that platform stone. And they're going to replace it. What is a platform? What is an altar? A platform is made of one stone. An altar is many stones. The Ram is not just describing the difference he's explaining over here. Since an altar is multiple stones, so one blemish in one stone doesn't render the altar irrelevant to the idol. But a platform upon which the altar, a platform of stone upon which 
the altar is placed. It's made of one stone. Once that one stone is blemished, then now the whole a whole platform is inappropriate views by the Zara in their view, and therefore it automatically becomes bottle. How do you nullify the stone, stone to the Marculius, that have been used to throw? Or perhaps this may actually refer to the shrine of the Marculius, which was uh, three stones, like a pyramid, uh, placed on top of the other two, so it's like an upside down segel. In any event, whichever, stone, whichever, whichever idolatry stones it's referring to, how do you nullify them? Once you build a, build, a, build a structure with them, or use them as cobblestones to pave the street, to be any other fashion, any other thing, they are permitted to derive benefit from, that's considered nullifying them. How do you nullify an idolatrous tree? If you pull off a leaf, uh, or you pull, cut off a branch, or you take a staff or a scepter from it, Excuse me, a makel, a nothing but a makel. If you take a, a branch or a shabbat or, or a staff, staff or a scepter from the tree to use one of its branches, or you smooth off one of its one of its sides, not for the benefit of the tree, just simply to uh, uh, act irreverent to the tree. It's considered nullified. If you if you smooth out one of the sides for the sake of, of attending to the tree, he asura, then it is forbidden. The tree remains forbidden. But the shavings you shaved off. Since they're not worshipped, are surprisingly permitted. Moses shall you saw if the tree belonged to uh, to a yid, and so then you shaved off part of the part of the part of the side. Whether it's for the purpose of the tree or not, the tree and the shavings are forbidden forever. The idolatry of a Jew is never nullified again. Therefore, even if you shave off part of the side, you you smooth out part of the side of the tree. Not for not to tend the tree, and it's considered an act of irreverence and disrespect. It still does not make the tree permitted. The tree that share remains forbidden forever because it belongs to a Jew.